So for the final instalment of the Paddock Pass podcast note show from the Grand Prix of Qatar, it's, I'm well, delighted to be joined by Mr. David Emmett. David, I've missed talking to you, particularly because I've been having to talk to Neil pretty much every evening. And uh, it's just good to you know, talk to somebody with, um, I don't know, a little bit more sanity, uh, patience, organisation, perhaps. Um, how have you been? um uh surviving it's been uh it's uh, 20 how many I, I can't remember how many races there are in this championship it's that bad so yeah race 19 i'm starting to fray around the edges uh well of course we were doing this over zoom um so i hope that the quality bears up um i i haven't got my recorder i'm recording just uh, across this platform so um fingers crossed the the wi-fi keeps uh being pretty stable here like it has been all weekend in the south the international circuit brand new media center there there's some banging going on in the background because they're dismantling the tv set that's just next door so i hope that's not going to be too intrusive but um dave where can we start um we have i think the seventh different winner this season um with digia taking the ducati i think that was that six or seven ducati winners now this year uh, an incredible total uh, I think it's only Alex Marquez who hasn't won a um, who hasn't won a Grand Prix, or is it Luca Marini? I can't remember, but yeah, it's it's it, it's you know they've... yeah a Grand Prix or a sprint. Well, Marquez has won the sprint, hasn't he? He's won yes, he's definitely won a sprint, but it's uh, yeah. So I mean, it's just getting it's it's getting very difficult to keep track. I mean, for a moment there in the Grand Prix, we had a situation where a KTM or even an Aprilia, because Maverick Mignales was coming on very strong, finishing fourth, were, was going to break sort of the Ducati's stronghold they had had um, on this Grand Prix to date. But there were obviously other major talking points. Uh, the, the atmosphere, the tension was actually pretty tangible uh, as the Grand Prix started. And of course, all the focus, even some of the fantastic TV graphics, I think you can see nowadays between um, Team Peco and Team Martin, which I don't quite get because surely it should be Team Bagnaya versus Team Martin. Or Team uh, or, or team Peco and Team Jorge. But no, it's uh, um, it is funny how names... Uh, sort of hang around sort of things you know what i mean it's just it's one of those things uh, out of the two let's talk about jorge martin first uh from the very first seconds of the grand prix in a 22 lap chase here in la salle the the race was i wouldn't say over but it was very much dictated wasn't it and um you know uh, martin just said that in the media debrief after the race uh, he was quite quick to come and talk to the media actually he was one of the first so you can imagine he was keen to get away just having uh, what he believed was a defective rear tyre. He was making statements and noises to the effect that he lost because of the, the rear tyre that he had today or this evening. And, you know, you could see it, Dave. I mean, his body language just said that he was struggling all the way through. Yeah, I mean, some of the other riders, I was just reading what uh, Fabio Quattararo said, and he was saying pretty much the same. You could see he was sitting behind um, uh, Martin for a while, and he could see that he was just really struggling. Um, it it really was right from the start. You know, he had a he got a terrible start. The rear span up, and from that moment on, he just said, you know, like no, he had no rear grip. It, it felt exactly the same as as it did on Friday, um, but it couldn't be anything to do with the track, according to Martin. Because the track was much cleaner, you know. The same with the fact that it spins up on the uh, it spins up on the grid. He says, you know, it felt, it felt like a thirty uh, a thirty lap tire, um, but it, you know, it was but it was brand new. The the int- I mean, the, the, there's a couple of strange things. Firstly, uh, he said on the warm up lap, the tire felt perfectly fine. 
Um, and it was only, it was literally at the start, the thing spins up. Uh, and then from there, it was, it, it was all pretty bad. And then you know, he said, basically, he tried for three years. Uh, um, uh, for three laps and realised that he, he was in a world of trouble and then just tried to get it home. But uh, I also wonder whether there was also an issue with the front tyre because, um, I mean, Martin was saying, if it hadn't been for this front tyre, I could have done exactly the same as I did yesterday. I could have won. And if that's the way that you're thinking, then what you do is you set your front tyre accordingly. You set your front tyre uh, to have the kind of pressure um, that so you've got, so you don't go under the minimum uh, during the race, you know, while you're leading. So that means that you start with a higher pressure. Um, and if you get stuck in traffic in exactly the way that Jorge Martin did, um, you might start to have problems with your with your front tyre. So I wonder if it was a little bit of a combination between the two. Um, but certainly it, it, it seems like, I mean, we've, we've, there's always this discussion about, uh, uh, about quality control with with Michelin tires, it's impossible to get to the bottom too because there are so many factors which affect it. Also, I think the big uh, sort of wild card at this race is the new surface. We don't know what what effect it's had, how it works, um, uh, you know, what how that affects the setup and all the rest of it. But uh, I mean, it was clear that this. I mean, this this was not a failure by Martin. This was clearly there was something wrong. I think it was a little dramatic to say his championship had been lost by this tyre. I mean, his crash in Indonesia, There's there's been various flashpoints through a long season and many races. So that was a little bit not unfair, but perhaps it was ignoring the wider picture of what's been going on in the series. I said to him, you know, what was kind of your emotion through this race? Was it anger? Was it frustration? And he said at one point he was even laughing because he couldn't believe... Um, you know how ridiculous the situation was he actually said that the the 22 lap race was like a relationship he went through many different emotions all within the course <laughs> of about sort of 40 minutes um but you know it was a, a dramatic situation i mean brad binder for example like you said they about having curiosity with the front and um, binder had chronic rear grip issues during the sprint so much to the point that you know it really counted him out of any decent result he said that today in the, the main race his rear tire was perfect it was the front um, he had about 12 laps from the front and when he got to third place then he was pretty much screwed and I think we could see from the TV pictures that he was just fighting a losing battle trying to stay ahead of uh, you know the Ducatis behind him so yeah um, what do you do about it I, I mean I sort of asked Franco Morbidelli and you, you know it's just the cards you've dealt with Morbidelli said you just have to make the best of what you've been given on that particular day it's just part of Grand Prix racing now yeah, I mean, I, I do think the fact that there were so many riders who had problems with the rear uh, or, or with tyres in general uh, is less of a sign. Well, it means one of two things. First of all, you have got the the, the fact that, uh, you know, Michelin have to decide which tyres they're going to use right at the start of the season. Um, they were allowed to bring an extra uh, compound here. Um, you sort of wonder if the that made a difference perhaps the riders weren't using the compounds that michelin were expecting um but the, the, the you know it was so different that at the beginning of the uh, of the year michelin had to decide which uh, tires they're going to use uh, in conditions that they're not used to on a surface that they didn't know very much about um so you sort of wonder if if things are a little bit out but again it could be somewhere in between 
uh, bike setup, tires, um, uh, rider expectations, a dirty track, all sorts of things that just can just made it really, really difficult to to, to get uh, something wrong. I think if there'd been just been one or maybe two riders who'd had problems, then you'd say, okay, this is definitely a tire. But there seems to be like a a, a bigger a bigger picture. Now there might well be you know a dodgy tire or two uh, in between, but there's just so much more going on. In the championship now, Pekka Bengnaia has a 21-point lead. Of course, there's a maximum of 37 still to win in Valencia. Um, Bagnaia is almost in an exact situation, a replica of his championship predicament as last year. So you think that kind of ex- experience or um, you know the way he was able to tackle Valencia last year is going to stand him in good stead for this challenge coming up. He was quick to... Um, exercise caution when it comes to the climate though because it will be the latest ever finale for a MotoGP World Championship and uh, who knows what we'll find in Valencia next week but um, yeah well, I mean when it comes to Martin Davy, he really just has to roll the dice to the maximum now and hope something happens to uh, the Italian yeah I mean it's actually much easier for Jorge Martin because all he can do is win both races that's that's the only thing that that's worth it to him Um Banyaya has to start thinking, uh, sort of calculating, like, how much can I lose? Uh, I mean, like, for Banyaya, what he has to aim at is two podiums. If he can be on the th- in the podium in both races, then, you know, that, that that's going to be enough. Yeah, the, the difference between, um, uh, what is it, first and third in the first, uh, in the sprint race and in the uh, main race is what twelve points, uh, and that would be more than enough to uh, for uh, for Pecco to win sort of comfortably. So uh, I think they both have very clear what they need to do, uh, but once they actually get there, um, things are a little bit different. I mean, looking at the uh, the weather forecast, it actually looks really quite good. It looks uh, quite good. You know, we could we could have sort of afternoon temperatures of twenty degrees, but the trouble is, of course. Um, we you start off in the morning and it can be really cold in the morning. You know it could be six seven degrees in the morning, uh, and then there's the there's a really big. It's really easy to spit yourself off at turn four. Basically the first left. What is it? The first right after so many left handers, um, and, and and hurt yourself. So it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be a very, very difficult, and I think especially during qualifying, because of course the other thing is this year qualifying is going to be in the morning. That changes things a lot as well. So uh, I mean, it is if you if you were going to put money on, you would put uh, you would bet on Pekka Banyaya, but um, there's still uh, like you wouldn't be betting the house. You might bet a tent on it, but you wouldn't you wouldn't bet a house on it. David, let's talk about the winner. Um, Digia took his first podium in Australia and now his first victory in the class and entering a bizarre situation where he's, un- well, unlikely to be a MotoGP next year. It's um, a really bizarre uh, scenario. I mean, you could point the finger and say, you know, why weren't you riding at this like this earlier in the year? Um, I think um, the Italian has rightfully made some comments that, you know, he's near the end of only his second season. Yes, he's on the, the the finest and the most competitive motorcycle in the class, but perhaps people just need their own time to develop. I mean, I think this is a subject we can get into in the podcast this week. But, um, uh, you know, Digia said to us on Thursday in the media debriefs, I think I can win here this weekend. And that raised a few eyebrows and we thought, OK, mate, um, how did you manage to smuggle, uh, smuggle those substances through custom control? But, uh, yeah, he, he was he was on the money. 
Uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, there was he did not put a fault wrong. It was just an amazing, a genuinely amazing uh, piece of riding by him. It was measured, calm, collected. Didn't put a foot wrong all the way, all the way through. Uh, the pass on uh, Pekka Banyaya was beautiful. Um, it was, I mean, it was. It was, I wouldn't say it was hard, but you know, it was it was a it was a tough pass to make. He made it. He made it cleanly. Pecco tried to come back. He couldn't. Um, then, of course, there was the just superb bit of trolling by um, uh, Frankie Carcetti, uh, uh, Pecco uh, Digia's crew chief, who put the mapping eight message up, uh, which meant uh, now <laughs> push like hell for the last five laps, uh, and we were all uh, deeper, you know, basically up to our up to our necks in conspiracy theories over here. Um, but yeah, that was that that was a lot of fun. And it was it was it was just absolutely superb. The most interesting thing I caught the first part of the press conference. The most interesting thing I thought that that Digi said was um, he got some bad news at uh, uh, in in Sepang. Basically, you know, Malaysia, yeah. yeah, exactly. You're basically being told you don't you, you know you're out of MotoGP next year, or we're not thinking of you. Uh, you you're not getting the VR46 ride. Um, and he said he came back. He was really angry, and he turned that around. And I I, I sort of think that. Sometimes bad news, when bad things happen to you, it can change the way that you, it can work really positively. It can work really badly for you as well. It just, it just depends on on sort of each individual uh, each individual person. But we've seen it a few times when someone has a really bad experience and they use that experience to turn it around and turn it into something incredibly positive. And um, did you just, he was just outstanding all all weekend, really. It was he, he's just been very very strong, you know. Front row start, nearly nearly got pole. Um, uh, the, the I think the first rider into the one fifty ones, uh, in qualifying, uh, and then this win was just outstanding. Yeah, unfortunate circumstances because I think you see riders depart MotoGP either because there's a clear deficit of ability or there's a problem, arguably with attitude. But, you know, from what we've seen of, you know, uh, Fabio, he just doesn't, there's neither. I mean, he's not the slowest or worst rider we've seen in the Premier class. And uh, he seems to be a good egg, you know, from from what you listen to the, the you know, people saying around the paddock. So, uh, yeah, bizarre, really. Um, you know, but on this on this showing, then maybe they should revisit Mark Marcus's contract and, uh, you know, uh, turn it around. I'm sure he'll be cheaper. Or maybe not. I mean, who knows, really, <laughs> the, the terms of Marcus's deal. Yeah, he's just he's just got a lot more expensive, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else can we talk about in the class? I mean, you know, there were there were pockets of action. It was um like we say, it was a race that was kind of underpinned what was going on with Martin and Bagnaya, but uh, you know, Marini coming through for his podium, that was a decent uh, performance as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean Marini uh, Marini had a very solid race. Uh the, the the one thing I think we have to talk about is Pekka Benyaya, the the fact that he got sucked in uh, when he was still chasing Digi. Went straight, yeah. Yeah, got sucked in uh, into turn 1, nearly clipped the back of him and that nearly ended, ended in disaster between for for both of them. That would have been uh then would be would have a completely different story. But um, uh, I think uh, he, uh, I think Fab uh, uh, Pecco basically crapped his pants after that, and then because he lost about three seconds, <laughs> three or four seconds in two laps. So uh, yeah, it, it was very clear that this was not that. Yeah, that, uh, that this was going to take a different attitude. 
Yeah, and I think his reaction just coming around the, third, the first corner after the on the on the slowdown lap when he saw the big screen and Martin was all the way down in tenth. You know, he was kind of pumping the air. He was um, over the moon with the result, really. And considering what happened in two thousand and twenty-two in LaSalle, then uh, yeah, it was it was a really good weekend and a good turnaround for the world champion. Um, day we saw another world champion crown, Jamal Masia getting it done for Honda in Moto Three, which. In, in a way, is a little bit of a surprise because there are pure mobility bikes around him and there have been all season. But then Massey's uh, transformation, working with a sports psychologist and just looking far more consistent and strong this year, uh, he deserved it. Do we have to question the, the Leopard team's um, roughing up of a, a Yumu Sasaki? Uh, yeah, I mean, like... You know, it's hard to tell whether um, uh, that was sort of dirty riding or just your average bog standard Motor 3 race because there are moves in every single Motor 3 race that uh, uh, sort of in any other race would be treated as attempted murder. Um, <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was it was very clear to both Masia uh, and, um, uh, and Sasaki that, you know, this was going to be all about it. This was this was really what mattered. Um, I think justice was done in the end with Massia. I mean, Massia won the race. Um, you cannot uh, you cannot win a, a championship much more emphatically than that. Uh, and that's been the difference between Massia and Sasaki all this year. I mean, I think we talked about it briefly in the last uh, in last week's part as well. Uh, if you want to be champion, the easiest way to win to uh, to win a championship is to make sure you win races. I think it was Casey Stoner who said something like, uh, "If you win races, the championships look after themselves." Um, and it, Sasaki has been consistent, but he's you know it, it's only managed podiums. And I think there was quite a lot of sort of unpleasantness between the two of them afterwards. Yeah, uh, Sasaki's comments to the media were made quite swiftly. I think, you know, if he had more time to calm down, then he would have changed his version. I think he used the exchanges with the Massey to said that's that's racing, but he was a little aggrieved at the uh, kind of the bullying by his teammate, um, Adrian Fernandez. Uh, he wasn't too impressed with that because obviously it caused a, a split in the group. I think um, Sasaki said that he set one of his two fastest laps of the race, trying to recover ground in the last lap. And he also had a massive moment. I mean, I think Daniel Hogaido actually moved across to try and let the Japanese, you know, get back into championship contention. And Hogaido is still fighting for a top three place in, in the championship itself. And he was extremely lucky not to hit the back of him. So it was all pretty tense and dramatic at the end. But you're absolutely right. I mean, we have... Um, well, we have Spain's second world champion uh, crown now. Uh, maybe Martin. I mean, it's looking very unlikely for Valencia. Um, I mean, Bagnaya could be the first rider, what, to do go back-to-back in MotoGP in like a quarter of a century or something? It's, it's, it's quite a, well, Mark Market surely has been, uh, he's gone back-to-back, hasn't he? Yes, Mark Market has been back-to-back. Uh, -back, and then before that, of course, it was the, there was Valentino Rossi. Yeah, but uh, he will certainly be the first ever Ducati rider to uh, successfully defend a championship. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's going, going to be interesting. I think also um, he'll be the first, certainly be the first Italian to to defend a championship since uh, since Valentino in what was it, oh nine. Um, so yes, it's. Uh, I mean, it's. Whoever wins the championship, I think you say you have to say they deserve it. They've both ridden absolutely superbly. I think right now you'd say that Jorge Martinez is the faster of the two. 
Um, but uh, you know, we're, we're the, the, it's a championship of two halves, and, and Peko has been there sort of basically throughout. Yeah, and um, world feed commentator Matt Burke gave a great statistic by saying that was the first Italian all three podium in MotoGP for eight years. So it's been quite a while, actually. It feels like that's quite a long time, um, considering the, the Italian talent that we've seen in the class in the last few years. Anyway, Dave, um, there's a little bit more to talk about on the main podcast this week. Um, there's been some more afters, you could say, with Franco Morbidelli and Alessia Spargaro on their incident on Saturday, which I'm sure got the social media trembling, um, or certainly got the opinions out of the box. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that in the main show. We'll also do our winners and losers and, and a couple of more talking points as uh, uh, we look forward to sharing your company once again in Valencia. But um, cheers for joining me on the call. And uh, well, we'll link up in the next day or two for the main show. Thanks very much. And it's been fun.